welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. Okay, this week on More to Come. Avengers of Infinity War. What else did you think we'd be talking about? <laughs> okay. Uh, Universal Fan Con. And on a maybe a better note, uh, Y Comic Con. Uh, the Eisner nominations. Uh, we did a big feature on middle grade graphic novels. And let's talk a little bit about Hillary Shute's first column as a graphic novel columnist for the New York Times Book Review. So, Avengers Infinity War. Get comfortable, folks. This could take a few minutes. No, we really could. But um, well, Calvin and I have seen it. Yes, and, and Kate's Kate boycotting it. Kate is boycotting it. I guess we'll have to get to that in a moment. Yes, we'll, but we'll we sure return. will. But where do we begin? I did read your column on the beat. So, um, uh, I mean, who wants to start? I, I don't know. Well, I just it, it just feels wrong to me to be talking about something in front of someone who hasn't seen it, even <clears> though they're boycotting dear, it. Dear dear listeners, there will be spoilers here. I don't care if I'm spoiled. I have already been entirely spoiled. I spoiled myself on purpose. You do not need to feel guilty. There you go. Well, Let us move on. Okay. That, okay. Well, I have any problems. Okay. Well, I had problems with the movie, which doesn't mean it isn't entertaining. I mean, this is, I think, the sort of this... Marvel's real innovation, I think, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I've talked about this before, they, they've kind of taken the best from the serialized world of Absolutely. comic books uh, and the blockbuster... Um, kind of uh, spectacle uh, side of the film industry and they've kind of created this hybrid beast of popular culture that you have to go and see their movies and because they're baseline entertaining I mean Marvel makes movies entertaining if you think that even if you think they're predictable or you know where they're going so in this thing I think it was effective at what Marvel needed to do uh, it also was like a gigantic you know, series of trailers for all of their heroes. That said, uh, within this incredibly long, I was looking at my watch. The last oh my half God, an hour, I, I can't believe it. I I'm just I, I'm looking at my watch every five minutes. I mean, it just went on and on and on. For me, uh, there was just too many fights, too many fights. On the other hand, uh, I do think that we've reached a point where they realize they've got to make the fights a little bit individual. <laughs> and and I think we saw that in the Thor movie, Ragnarok, where I saw some distinction between one fight to the next and this. But, you know, Avengers Infinity War has all the things in it, in my view, that you hate about uh, blockbuster superhero movies. Uh, there's the formula is like dragged in front of your eyes. I thought for a Marvel movie, there were stretches of absolutely stilted cringeworthy dialogue at the same time marvels cast their movies like no other the people that are in these roles are perfect for them um you know for a 2 hour and 40 movie a minute for 2 hour and 40 minute movie you know i certainly had parts that i were i got caught up in uh i actually thought the ending was actually great 
Um, I thought the CG at the beginning uh, for Josh Brolin was really great for Thanos. I thought it got crappier as the movie went on. I'd be curious to know what you thought of that. that. But overall, I can't complain. I can't say that this movie wasn't entertaining and didn't do what Marvel needed it to do because it absolutely did. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that sounds like a pretty mediocre review to me. Like, you know, I, well, I, I mean, I'm fascinated by it because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 once again, we have a real ver- variety of opinion here. Uh, you know, because my review would be the exact opposite of yours, Calvin, and that I couldn't believe how f- fast this movie went by. I mean, literally, I've seen it twice already. I saw it at nine in the morning and I literally could not believe, like, uh, it just flowed in one eye, and I, I mean, it was just incredible how it flowed with me. Now, the big difference is that I had watched all eighteen Marvel movies beforehand, so I, you know, including Thor Ragnarok, just a couple days before I had watched. I mean, I haven't seen Black Panther because it, uh, it isn't out on DVD yet, but uh, I had seen the most recent, I'd seen Civil War, just you know, Homecoming. I'd seen all the movies that really lead right into this immediately before. You know, this was really. The movie for binge watching. I mean, it was like Game <laughs> of Thrones. It was meant to be binge watched, and you know, having all of that, all of the stuff in mind, all the little threads in mind that had been set up throughout all these movies. Uh, when I watched it, it was like every single scene was a payoff. Mm. There were so many payoffs from little in jokes that I had just seen that you know, if you hadn't watched rewatched them, you might not have been you know, might not have recalled or might not have remembered, but. Uh, I thought it was for those who really had immersed themselves in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I thought it was an incredible achievement. And, you know, I really turned around my idea of Marvel when I did this rewatch. I think I had this idea of, you know, them being very formulaic. But I, I have to say, when I watched them all in a row, I found that there was a lot. It was really dark. I mean, almost every movie ends with something being destroyed. You know, even Thor. Thor in the first Thor movie, why the Bifrost is destroyed. All right, you know, they bring it back. Mm. But then in the second movie, you know, they destroy a whole other bunch of, of Asgard. And in Thor Ragnarok, it's freaking Ragnarok. You know, they destroy everything and everyone loses their home. I mean, Thor is a miserable failure in all three of these movies. You know, S.H.I.E.L.D. is destroyed. <laughs> Uh, the Avengers are destroyed. I mean, really, far from this being a feel-good, you know, series of movies, it's really just about people messing things up and, and destroying things. So anyway, I guess with that in mind, uh, you know, the ending of uh, Infinity War really was, um, you know, right in line with that. And I'll be really surprised because, you know, listen, uh, okay, here come the spoilers, people, so turn it off right now. You know, it's no secret that uh, everyone's waiting for for Chris Evans, Captain America, Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, and Chris Hemsworth as Thor, although he has one more movie left, big secret, uh, to run out their contracts. Yeah. And they did not die in Infinity yes. War. And no, that's what you, the, like, was the basis people were using to predict the basis. their deaths. Well, everyone who Somewhere. died in the movie has a movie coming out yeah. in the next year or two. So, I mean, you know, right there, if you're a savvy moviegoer, uh, you're sort of like, well, this, you know, and also when Thanos uses the time stone to turn time back, you know what? Listen, you, you figure out a thing or two. You get a couple of ideas about what's going to happen. So uh, if you're a savvy moviegoer. Now, even as a savvy moviegoer, you know, I went and saw this morning this movie yesterday at 930 in the morning. There was probably, eh, there was 30 people in the theater, 30, 40 people. Uh, I mean, the theater was dead silent when this ended. Like people, all I could hear was people sniffling and sobbing. There was a woman who took her child to the movie 
and the woman was crying and her daughter was holding her hand to comfort her at the ending of this movie. So, you know, it has touched a lot of people. Is it manipulative? It is. Is it truthful? I don't, I don't know. You know, I can't even, we've just seen the middle of the story. This is like the break in Deathly Hallows part one. It really is the darkest part, the dark before the dawn. And in the next thing, you know, we will see people die for real because their contracts are up because that's the most important thing of all. But I cannot praise Kevin Feige enough. And also really the Russo brothers and uh, Marcus and McFeely, the writers of this movie, because they have kept this going through at least six major motion pictures uh, that cost hundreds of millions of dollars. And the fact that Disney let them do this, like have this through these, these storylines that, that are set up in a huge movie and then pay off in another movie, it's audacious. Well, that's what I mean. I, I mean, I think they've created a really innovative platform. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I respond better to some of the movies than the others. I mean, look, I thought some are way better than the others. I thought no Black question. Panther is a, was just a great movie. It's an amazing movie. Just a great movie. This movie, I'm, I, I, I don't have feel the same way about it. Um, once again, I can't say that it was a failure. I mean, the book, this movie did what they needed it to do to yes. move you into the next movie, uh, and to do and to do it in a way that leaves you with a rich experience that you've got a lot of questions about, and that's for sure. Uh, I may be a cynical comic book fan. I think one of the things that the movies is also borrowing is, is I do think the movies are bleak. I don't despair. Uh, killing a character in comic books it only well, means you're, we're looking for we an know, opportunity to bring them back. We know what that means. Yeah. So um, to me, we're just at another stage of the story. And we're waiting to see how this develops. Well, let me let me throw in here, and then we can get to Kate. No, we'll get to Kate in one minute. But let me just throw in here before before we hear Kate's Kate's view, because I'm dying to hear it. But but just how huge Affinity War was. Uh, I'm looking at Box Office Mojo. I mean, it did have the number one uh, weekend mm, yeah. of all times. It was the fastest to uh, 100 million, 150 million, 200 million dollars. It's already well on its way to a billion dollars worldwide. Yes. Uh, it was not the biggest worldwide opening. That would be the fate of the Furious, which opened in China the same weekend. Okay, so when you say it's the biggest opening, when I was looking at Box Office Mojo, it looked like uh, Force Awakens was bigger. Uh, what's why? It says right here. It says right here. Audiences assembled worldwide at Disney and Marvel's Avengers: Infinity War broke both the domestic opening weekend box office record and the worldwide opening record with a massive two hundred fifty dollars million domestic. I don't know. That's what the story says. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, oh, okay. I'm I'm looking at the wrong numbers here. Got it. I'm looking at uh, later in the run. So, okay. So we'll see where they all end up. Well, in the we'll end. see. But uh, I mean, this is a huge achievement yes, for Marvel it is. and Disney. Yeah. And uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a. They, even they say, and you know, listen, they didn't know how big Black Panther was going to be. No. I'd like to point out, Black Panther was the number six movie the same weekend as Infinity War and it's coming out on DVD next weekend. Yeah. I mean, I mean Black Panther people are still going to is see it. still a top 10 yeah. movie of all time and, yeah. you know, Infinity War is also going on that list. So, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is by far it's a the most successful film franchise of all time. It's a fantastic yes. innovation. Now, it really it's, is. You know, Star Wars may have a higher per movie, especially adjusted for inflation, but it's a tremendous, tremendous success for Marvel and Disney. Yes, and oh. I do not debate any of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't rewatch the movies, and, I, and I'm sure that would be because this one thing this franchise is go, is good at doing is placing thoughtful Easter eggs right. and just humorous Easter eggs throughout 
uh, throughout it. But I did do some some studying uh, on on the whole uh, Thanos um, uh, mythology because those were kind of the years after I really stopped right. reading Marvel. Well, let's come back to Thanos and our mm-hmm. Thana, Thanos. It's mm-hmm. pronounced both ways in the movie, uh-huh. but uh, we'll get back to that and Jim Starlin, who created the character. But yes. you know, Kate, all right, let's hear yes, Kate's sorry, take. Yeah, yes. Kate, we need yes. you to let's chime in. I mean. Well, I've, I've been waiting, and now's my chance. Okay, so I actually connect a bit with something Heidi had been saying in her very praising review. Uh, that Well, praise-filled review. Um, you know, that that a lot of the movies she suddenly realized had actually been super dark. Like, I'm not gonna lie. That's part of why I bounced off the recent, like, Avengers group movies. Mm. And I do very much count Captain America Civil War as an Avengers group movie. Of course, it's an Avengers movie, no question. Yeah, Yeah, Um, yeah. oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I sort of wish there had been one more Cap movie (laughs) that had just been about him and his team. Um, That, you know, there have been a certain trend in not all, but a significant portion of Marvel movies to be so bleak, even on the personal front between characters, that it's not just like stuff that gets blown up, it's relationships that get blown up, it's everybody hates each other, you know, oh, there's a light of hope at the end, but basically there's a lot of like the people you like not liking each other. Like yeah, that's... We... Conflict, yes. Well, no, but that's... that's <laughs> Fake conflict. It's It's... It's less like, hey, we're disagreeing about this thing, and more like, hey, let's set the heroes against each other because, yeah, that'll be great. Uh, that's exactly what we go to superhero team movies to go to see them fight before they even really co- coalesce as a team. Rock on. Um, so, you know, I had already kind of bounced off Civil War, uh, bounced off Avengers 2, um, and so I was not like starting from a place of oh boy oh boy oh boy oh boy oh boy Avengers movie like I have really enjoyed a lot of of Marvel Universe movies that came out after that but the team ones were not really doing it for me um but also uh part of it is that I love superhero comics but there's a specific type of superhero comic I don't love and that is the overstuffed superhero comic the one where you have 40 heroes in one book um, because that's just never been my thing. Uh, I don't, I've, I, I'm just like, oh, look, there are a lot of people on one page and there's no time to devote to hardly any of them. And so that's one thing counting it. Like while other people were like, oh, and this character will be in it and that character will be in it and that one will. I'm like, we, even though I love all these characters. I, I agree with you, but go on. No, no, I, yeah. I have yeah. a diversion to in the comics as well. But like, that, but like you can, like a team up movie of the size of like an Avengers movie, that many characters you can handle. You can ha- car- handle like eight characters. That's cool. Ten characters. But when you get like 40 characters, good Lord, you need a miniseries. And I'm not saying this is not a movie that I will never see, but um, I'm going to see it on DVD because that's about my level of motivation for it. And also because I honestly feel like a year's wait after that kind of ending is too long. Because specifically because every fan watching this movie knows they're not going to die, that some of the emotional power behind it is going to bleed off in a year. After instead of a year of like, oh no, who's dead? It's a year of, oh, I wonder how they're going to bring him back. Uh, <laughs> like like six months. I think they think six months would have been perfect. 
uh, for this to come out in that winter Marvel movie slot, perfect timing. But instead, it's going to be a year. And I think there are going to be a million really big movies coming out since, since then. Some of them starring characters who died in this movie. And um, I just think some of the emotional zoom, zoom get up and go of it is going to like bleed off. Um, but, you know, like it's I don't like overstuffed movies. I feel like this is part of me is like, I wish this were a miniseries. Like, I wish they did the Harry Potter, the cursed child kind of thing <laughs> where you bring out part one and part two together so people can see part one and then see part two, get their their full bowl everything instead of like, yeah, it just sounds unsatisfying to me. It's not like people are like, oh, give it a chance. And I'm like, I don't want to three hours of my life and $16. Give it a chance. Like, there'll be a DVD. I'll watch it then. Um, so I don't have like hugely negative feelings toward it. It's just like a whole bunch of trends. Like, hey, it's hey, it's gonna be dark and depressing, you guys. Isn't that deep? And all the characters ever, and uh, stakes that no one actually believes in because comics that all together make me go a giant ball of meh. Well, I mean. Superhero movies have kind of reached the point where they've got to have. I, I, in my view, they think that the I think the writers and the and the studio heads and the publishers believe that they've got to have threats commensurate with the power that they can deliver. So I think that's why we've gotten to this, uh, a, a, in some ways, a kind of a formula loop of the, you know this fate of the universe is kind of be at stake in almost every. Well, movie. you know, sadly that Kevin Feige has said, you know, at the end they tease. A certain character coming who has have a movie coming out. And, yes, uh, they do. Uh, you know, Kevin Feige has said that uh, she is the most powerful character in the Marvel Universe. I'm like, really? I mean, you see, like, in this movie, the villains, I, I will say the villains, aside from Thanos, were, to me, a big weak point. Because I was like, who are they? What are they doing? Yeah, they weren't like, their powers were very vague. But, yeah. And then one, uh, anyway. Let yeah. me just make one a little point. Is that I, I do agree with you, Heidi, that, look, everyone in this movie gets a star turn that's really quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh, my only complaint is that there's vast stretches between those star turns where it's really not what I consider to be the Marvel snappy dialogue. I mean, even Iron Man and Pepper, I mean, you know, you know, we can never have Iron Man 1 again, apparently. I mean, they were trying their thing, sort of was there, really wasn't right. There were other things where it was really kind of bad. I just feel that this is what Marvel had to do. They actually made an efficient vehicle. As a movie, I have my reservations no. about it. But look, I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes, and not only do fans love this movie, most of the critics love this movie right. too. So, so I mean, you know, again, like man's if you say that, but you know, and I, I'm not disagreeing with either of you. I feel like both of you are very valid, and you're differing opinions. Okay, so again, I'm saying from my standpoint of having immersed myself in yeah. the Marvel Marvel <laughs> U for so long, maybe I've drank the Kool Aid. You know, because like if you mention Iron Man and Pepper, I mean, they do have a scene at the beginning of the movie which. Is very fleeting. However, it does set up yes, all does. the things that happen in the no, first three movies. No, you're absolutely right. And, you're it, absolutely and right. The, you know, in the the last time we hear Pepper in this movie, yes. is kind of heartbreaking. And again, that's like Tony. Everything bad happens to Tony in this movie. Like everything this that he true. fights for is taken away but, from yeah. him. Well, and that's even a scene that I like. Yes, and that's so he can die and be resurrected so yeah. Robert Downey Jr. can go on and do all these other movies, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, yeah. But, you know, Kate, I will say to your point, 
Thank God you weren't around for Empire Strikes Back. If you had had to wait three years, <laughs> well, I could tell you as a teenager. Oh. But see, but no, see, I feel like those three years were fine because there were actual stakes. You actually didn't know what was going to happen next. Whereas with this one, I feel like it's the combo of eh, depressing, plus everybody knows who's going to come back. Yeah, well... Everybody well, posts well, Ultimately, everybody's going to come back in some form or other. I just don't really believe anybody's really permanently gone. But which I should also say that there's a lot of humor in this movie, too. As bleak as it is, you there are no Marvel movies that don't have snappy, funny scenes in them. And this one does, has them, too. And more than a few. I mean, that's why I know my review sounds contradictory. Because... At the one hand, I'm believe me, I'm looking at my watch and saying, when is this thing going to be over? It just went on too long for me. On the other hand, that I can think of plenty of moments in this movie that were thoroughly entertaining. Well, I don't think that's contradictory, Calvin. You're saying you enjoyed it, but it was flawed. There are a lot of movies yeah. that are like yeah. that. Well, let me ask everyone this. So, you know, when I did the whole list, but what is everybody's favorite Marvel movie? Hmm. Well, I'd have to say Black Panther right now, but, um, you know, the first Iron Man I thought was really just transformative yeah um it was a good movie besides being a fun movie um so i would put those two up there uh i like thor ragnarok quite a bit too i mean i like some of all of the movies really it's hard to not enjoy a marvel right universe well movie. I, I have let's put it this way i have about five favorites that I would say I like about equally well. In there's out ways. of 18, there's plenty of room. So. Well, uh, Iron Man 1, Captain America 1 and 2, um, Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Yeah, good point. One. Black Panther. Okay. Did Those... you like Thor Ragnarok? Can't be bothered to watch it. I'm oh, going to wait for DVD. It's, it's the best. It's, it's, I have it on DVD. I'll even lend but, you okay, the DVD. Okay. It's so it's good. good. But, but Heidi, so Heidi good. I have you, you have to understand, <laughs> there are personal life reasons i cannot watch this movie my roommate is the world's biggest thor ragnarok hater <laughs> well you know it's just not worth it why does she hate it uh she's a loki fan i'm just saying that those, okay. that's her feelings i'm not watching thor ragnarok just to keep peace in my household everyone has to make just trade-offs watch it. in their watch life it secretly i because <laughs> i will say listen i agree black panther is the best marvel movie but my favorite marvel movie and one of my all-time favorite movies is thor ragnarok yeah, and i a, would watch it movie. if i had to take one movie on a desert island it might be thor ragnarok it's just so joyful and, yeah, it's like a comedy. But it's just joyful. It's like they kill everything, and yet you feel yeah. happy when you leave the movie. It's 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 incredible. It just has everything and, and, that I love. And it takes a Marvel ability to be humorously entertaining to it, its epitome. It's Taika Waititi. He's a he's, very, he's, very he's funny fantastic. man. He's fantastic. I, I do game. not debate Hands any down. of that. Yeah, and you know, it, it really amazes. One thing that I have learned in the last couple of weeks of doing all this is that... Um, Warner Brothers really screwed the pooch so badly when they made Green Lantern and that they made a movie with Ryan Reynolds and Taika Waititi in it and nobody Well, but Taika didn't do any writing. He was just I, an I know, actor. but I'm just saying they took this guy who anytime you yeah. see him on a panel is just like the world's most charming, funny, marvelous person and they made him boring. It's quite it's a feat. And Ryan Reynolds. And they made Ryan Reynolds boring, yeah. too. Well, I, I will quite say feet, that that <laughs> that Green Lantern is way more amusing if you're watching it with someone from an Air Force family oh. with a grudge against uh, test pilots. 
because there were so many test pilot jokes when I watched that with my friend. It was that was the funniest part because every time um, he would do something yet again cliched, <laughs> she'd be like, "I'm a jet pilot," and uh, right, that was awesome. I know, I know, I know. But basically. Um, you know, so yeah, I have my favorites and I'm continuing to enjoy Marvel movies. It's not like I'm swearing them off. It's just the and I don't have any like actively negative feelings against this movie. I just don't have any actively positive feelings for this movie. No. Well, I respect, you know what? I listen. I mean, not that I shouldn't respect it and you shouldn't have this opinion, but I'm just saying I respect what you say. Yeah. You know, I, I shouldn't mean, have this opinion. No, 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 no. I'm I'm not I'm not saying I'm validating you by respecting your opinion. Yeah. It's just like, you, you know, I'm a huge listen, I'm a fan. I'm just saying I'm a fan. And to me as someone who cares about pop culture, you have to see this movie. If you guys want to pay for my movie no, ticket, nope. then, no, 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 yeah, do that. see. Um, well, you know what? Before we move on, I just want to yeah. say, uh, just to give this a comic spin. I mean, there is a uh, at the end they give a special shout out to Jim Starlin who created yes. not only Thanos and yes. Gamora and Drax, yes, but the did. Infinity Gauntlet and wrote yes. uh, the Infinity Gauntlet, which was a mini series that is really forms the basis of this whole story. And they gave him a shout out and. Uh, it's doing a lot for that. It's it's uh, selling on uh, no, you know all the sales charts. It's doing so very well. there is well. some tension here. He's not working well, on any he more books is, anymore. The, you know, he he's he did his last thing. Yeah. I mean, the, I, yeah. I mean, Jim Starlin is actually known for walking away from Marvel yeah. quite a bit. But you know, also I, a lot I, of people do. Yeah, but I also said in a piece, it's like. Um, you know, he's been in every single story about this movie because they mentioned that it's based on this comic. Yeah. I mean, it'd be nice yeah. if he were on board with this all and yeah. they could promote it based yeah. on him. But uh, that didn't happen. And hoping so. he's yeah. getting a little dinero and at the same time. And it's not just Thanos. He created vast amounts of Cosmic Marvel. Like, mm -hmm. I cannot think of one creator with a larger stamp on Cosmic Marvel than Jim Starlin. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. I love Cosmic Marvel. All right. So, speaking of bleak, um, Universal... <laughs> no, how, dear. How's that for a segue? Oh, yeah, Universal right. oh, yeah. FanCon. Uh, what a clusterfuck. Can we say that on, on the podcast? I'm just going to bleep that part. Don't worry. Boo. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't even know where to begin on this. Um, obviously, so that, the default is to Heidi to make it all make sense. Well, at least. you know, I want to give, like, uh, like, oh, God. It's so horrible. Um, <laughs> it you know, really like, is. For two years, I wrote a huge, long story. There's been about three or four very long stories written about Universal FanCon, but I'll try to give you the very short version, which is like a couple of years ago, uh, 18 months ago, there was a Kickstarter for Universal FanCon run by Jamie Broadnax of uh, Black Girl Nerds and Robert Butler of, uh, I forget the name of his yeah. site, Black but Geeks it's like Black or Geeks or something yeah. like that, uh, to put on a show that would be held... Uh, in April 2018 at the Baltimore Convention Center that would celebrate diverse fandom mm -hmm. like it was for people of color, it was for queer people, it was for disabled people, it was for all different kinds of marginalized groups so they could come together in a safe space and celebrate their fandoms, which yes. sounds like the most wonderful thing ever. Be it is a great idea. It is it's a fantastic an awesome, an awesome idea. idea. Now, and what happened is, and you know, one of my, my writers, actually, and I, th I think you know her, Elena uh, Lavin. Yes, Lavin. yes, So yeah. she and I yeah, were, she was going policy, down, yeah. she was mm -hmm. doing a, a panel, and we were even talking. I was thinking I was going to go down maybe just for the night and you know, experience this because it sounded like such a really cool thing. And uh, then with one week to go, the Friday before the con, it went out on Twitter. It's like, oh, sorry, we've got to cancel this show. 
because uh, reasons. And um, I and they didn't go into what those reasons were. Well, they said, oh, we're going to give you a statement. And I mean, of course, the minute, uh, like everybody, their hotel room had been canceled. Yes. Yeah, that's another uh, and, part of the debacle. And um, immediately everyone knew it because they didn't have any money. So, I mean, that's mm-hmm. pretty obvious. Now, I will say on the site Women Write About Comics, um, Jasmine Joyner and Rosie Knight have written a really very thorough investigation. And uh, I, I mean, I, I kind of, let them carry the ball on it because they won't they dove deep oh god i it's just like at first i thought they were just incompetent but but the more i read about it the more it sounds like there really was some malfeasance going on here you know that much money going missing well but well but that's not even it it's like it's like they only raised fifty six thousand dollars at kickstarter that's nothing to put on a con at a convention center Convention would cost minimum six figures like not six figures okay now there's a report circulating that they did lose something like $500,000 $500,000 on this. And and you're like, what did they spend it on? But here's the thing. Wait, uh, wait where did the $500,000 well, come from? Uh, I, mean, well, I heard some of them put some personal money into well, this, too. Well, that's what you have heard. And yeah. hold on. Let me... Uh, hold on. Let me get this. Uh, $650,000. The word on the street is that... This is a tweet from Three Brown Nerds. Uh, someone who's an affiliate, so I don't know. It is total well, scuttlebutt. It might not be true. <laughs> so word of the street is that Universal FanCon is like $650,000 in the hole. Now, uh, now you're like, where did that money yeah. go? Uh, it seems that somewhere along the way, Broadnax and Butler, who now are saying, Bro- Jamie Broadnax is saying, oh, I-, I was just a volunteer. Yeah. It's like, you were the co-founder, girl. Come on, own it. Uh, yeah, this is what I and some, Nobody's in charge. Somehow or other, they hired... A guy named Ty Pham, yeah. who had put mm-hmm. on two previous cons, one of which was canceled the week before. It was called um, Queer Con, uh, and it was aimed at, again, a marginalized community. Mm-hmm. It was canceled with a week out. Before that, he'd done an anime con that had to shut down because it had no money. All right. Well, well you... why would you ask this man the third time? Well, and then. Was it two or three failed cons? Three failed cons. Three failed cons, yeah. yeah. Three and for there... three. Well, there's. Honestly, those are the two that are known. There's another one that I'm not. Okay. I, I didn't I th- verify, yeah. but it could be three. So okay. two is enough for me. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> but then the other two people who were bought on to be marketing consultants were one of them was a bot. One of them was just a person who has like automated Twitter that just tweets. What? Yeah, it's really, really strange, troubling, and bizarre. And uh, so anyway, all of this unfolded. However, I want to try to turn this to the positive because it's like uh, so many people immediately were like, what a blow to, you know, the Blurred community, to be honest about it. Yeah. Because this was definitely being run by people who were very big in the Blurred community, Absolutely. which is Black Nerd, in case you yeah. haven't heard it. Um, however, the community actually rallied very, very quickly and put together a pop-up event called Y Comic Con. And a bunch of really awesome people put this on, um, including uh, Keith Chow. Uh, again, you know, I should have had all their names. I know uh, my good friend Karma Horn from uh, The Blurred Girl was also if I involved. Can get yeah, to the beat, it's, you've got it all. But anyway, yeah, if you're, you're looking this up, anyway, they came together in one freaking week and put together an event because so many people, you know, these. You know, people who are disabled, for whom travel is very difficult, had bought plane tickets. Yeah. You know, people I mean, who, vendors really who don't sad. have a lot of money had spent money on this. It was so, 
so bad. However, they put on this Y Comic Con. They found a space that was in downtown Baltimore. They got the, some of the celebrity guests to come, like the uh, Chio Hodari Coker, the producer yeah. of the Power Man show. Um, you know, Greg Park came down. A bunch of uh, other guests who had been planned it's came down. It's an incredible down. save. It and, really is. And uh, if you read, I will say, if you read the reports on Y Comic Con, they are as um, happy. They're glowing. Glowing yeah. as... Um, the, I can't seem to find Yeah, I hope there's a second year of it. Well, they, everybody's <clears throat> exhausted. I emailed everyone to find out if if they were um, if they were going to do it, and they were just like, you know, we are totally uh, exhausted, so we can't say yet. But yeah, but everybody's already talking yeah. about it. There, oh, yeah. I mean, some of the people that organize what comes like Keith Chow of Hard Knock Media, Karama Horn of Blurred Girl, Ureas of Black Heroes Matter, Andre Robinson of, of Carbon Fiber Media, Chuck Collins of Bounce the Bounce Comic. Very funny comic. Elijah Kelly of, of the Be a Boss Act. Patrick Michael Strange of, of New Release Wednesday. Um, um, really? Okay. Yeah, these are heroes. These people are really yeah. heroes, and they, they didn't sleep for a whole week, and they got this on. But it wasn't, it wasn't just Y Comic Con. There were multiple alternatives that sprung up immediately. Right. Like, um, there's also, like, there's We Comic Con, but then also there's FamCon. Which was basically making a uh, virtual digital panel. Uh, yeah, they convention. did live streaming. Yeah, yeah they, so they, did, they did live yeah. streaming of panels that had originally been planned. Yeah. Um, and then there was Universal Artist Alley, which um, was a digital mm-hmm. artist alley in which everybody who was going to exhibit at Universal FanCon could. You know, curate. Right, there was a place stuff. where you could go and you could see the, see the the work of the people who had gotten screwed out of this. Now, uh, I, I'm just looking right now. There's actually a, a piece which I haven't even read up on BlackEnterprise.com about Y Comic Con talking oh, about how they did it. Okay, yeah, cool. just it literally just went up. Awesome, um, which is fantastic. I'm because, gonna read it because I I gotta say, I mean, every single outlet covered Universal Fan Con's demise, and to be fair, it's an incredible story, and more and more is coming out about it. So you know, it's incredibly newsworthy, but. Uh, you know, I, I, I will say, I, I, on my site, I tried to cover Y Comic Con as much as possible because don't just make it the bad thing. You know, make sure you cover the positive thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I also want to say, uh, just this week, there's mm-hmm. another con mm-hmm. that is also canceled with one week out. But this is a con no one's heard of. Epic Icon Comic Con was to be held hmm. at the Los Angeles Convention Center, and it was to be a Back to the Future, um, a reunion with uh, Christopher Lloyd and a couple of other cast members who aren't Michael J. Fox or um, Leah Thompson. But um, uh, now this con also canceled with one week out. Um, uh, however, this is a little different in that no one had heard of it. Didn't have any actual comics guests for a mm. quote Comic Con unquote. No one knows who was throwing this con. It's like literally no one in the community, and I've asked, knows who was actually throwing this show. And there's actually no no vendors were going to it. No nobody, you know, no one was going to the show. Yeah. And and there's actually some speculation that it was some kind of weird phantom show that was just trying to make some money. And and it, you are know, cons the new scam. They are the new scam. And really, uh, you know, we should we're running out of time here. Cause, but but, but I, I will say we, we need to talk more about we've passed peak Comic Con and we are really in. Uh, I, you know, I'm on a, a, a convention group on Facebook and uh, just, you know, I think if you're going to go to a first year con, you need to be really careful about yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is this is a, really not, this is not just an event. It is a case study in 
what you need to look out for, not just as a convention get visitor, but as a convention guest, as a convention vendor. Like I think a lot of people have been lulled into a false sense of security by how many very professional cons there are out mm-hmm. there. Yes. To just assume that you know this place that has a good logo and says they're renting out a convention center is going to be the real deal. Like there is a long long history of conventions that weren't of right. conventions that uh, were vaporware or otherwise badly thought out i mean dash con for oh, one god so another although what's fascinating here is one group put together a con in a week and another one couldn't put together a con in 18 months with well, six hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars huh yeah. funny well so well i mean i think part of it is is that we comic con hit every note of what you should be looking out for in a first year con on the good end which is they were realistic about their venue they're realistic about their budget and it's something where you just look at it and you go yeah you could pull that off whereas if you look at um universal fan con that was ambitious to the point of hilarious hubris for a first year con which would have been amazing had they pulled it off but they didn't yeah and i want to say that um you know the people associated with it who were robert butler and jamie broadnecks and uh you know jamie had a really big brand and yes she, she did is um and she's coming under more attack she's now. coming under and a lot of people have left her site mm-hmm. and there's uh you know she I mean, the problem here is yeah. that everyone suddenly is only a volunteer including <laughs> this vp that you mentioned who's who is listed as a vp yeah running the show is some somehow now only volunteer staff there doesn't seem to be anyone responsible for anything. Yeah. Well, so the internet doesn't forget. Uh, defeat uh, is an orphan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yes, apparently so. Yeah. Apparently so. Okay. But look, yeah, you know, yeah, look, more to this come. Is sorry, Listen, all around. More to come. More to come. We, we, yeah, we'll return it another time. All we right. Uh, Eisner nominations came out this week. Mm-hmm. So let's take a look at it. I think Fantagraphics was like. I Having mean, a couple a very years good ago, year. when, at the Eisner Awards, uh, Jody and I took a picture of uh, Garrick Roth, kind of like <laughs> loaded down with, you know, uh, Eisner bling and, you know, his cohorts behind him kind of looking like with a lot of swagger. Uh, maybe we'll end up in that with another picture somewhat like that this year. The uh, Fantagraphic got quite a few nominations. Did they lead? I think they did. They did. They were tied with, though, uh, uh, the uh, two was a book uh, called... Uh, my favorite thing's monsters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> have, have you heard of this? Have I have that. not heard of it. This has never been mentioned on this podcast yeah, yeah, before. I know. So, but a little unknown there. We are kidding, of course. But there people, were fifteen Calvin other nominations them. besides my favorite well, thing. Yeah, well, no, but it did lead. But it did, it did lead. lead. Well, so did monstrous. <laughs> well, it's tied. Yeah, it's tied with monstrous. Yeah, yes, actually, and of course, that's one of my favorite categories because this is the best new graphic novel. Yeah, over. I mean, that's so, that's the most Im- so, important category, really. Arguably, but um. Uh, but Image Comics, uh, let's see who had it. What do we got here? Well, uh, I, you know what? I'm going to jump ahead to the one that struck me the most, which sure. was Best, uh, best Graphic no- Album New, uh, which is kind of the 
you know, best yeah, picture. Yeah, to me, that's the book. Uh, yeah, and the nominees yeah. were Crawl Space by Jesse Jacobs, Eartha by Kathy Malkasian, My Favorite Thing is Monsters by Mel Ferris, Stages of Rot by Linnea Sturte, and The Story of Jezebel by Elijah Brubaker. Uh, has anyone heard of any of these books no, um, aside from My Favorite Obviously, I've heard of Eartha, um, yeah. and, but I have not heard of anyone other. Well, they're all good books. I I'm will sure. say that I know, but you know, there, there was a lot of good books that came out last year, like Spinning and... Uh, yeah, and I'm yeah, sort of amazed that they aren't well, they aren't here. Well, know. they exiled spinning to the kids, to the young adult, to yes. the kids in reality. Yeah, phase. but uh, yeah, that is not a list that anyone would have expected to see. No, so I would judges not have... really went out of their way to to pick stories yeah. that had been under uh, under under promoted. You know what? I have a hidden gems. I hope more people. I have read the story of Jezebel. It's uh, good. Yeah, Very I, good book. I have not read it. So, all right, right. So, so uh, Tilly Walden made it in under what? Uh, YA or something? Yes. Kids graphic best novel, reality based. Uh, and best oh, YA also. Yeah. So we did get two. I mean, but, it's, then, but yeah, know, but it should have been. Then, of course, they have this other curious category, uh, you know, reprint uh, best graphic novel, such as it is. But that includes Boundless by Jillian Tamaki. Um, what is it? Oh, the studio edition of Black Hole. By yeah, right, because Black Hole never has been recognized before. I'm not That's quite amazing. sure how that makes any yeah. sense at all. Um and a small favorites the the definitive girly porno collection by uh, Colleen Coover, Sticks Angelica folk hero Michael DeForge and Unreal City by DJ Bryant. Um, interesting. Yeah. Well, I think best continuing series is also a really big award, and um, they actually have some names you would expect to be seeing there. Um, it's not only got uh, Wicked and Divine and Monstrous and Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. It also has Giant Days, which and yes, Black Panther, and Black yeah, Hammer, which Black are Hammer, yeah, yeah, that, Hammer yeah. which are good. It's interesting uh, what a publisher like DC, the kind of nominations DC is getting. I mean, while Mister Miracle got nominated, mm-hmm. uh, the Flintstones, right? Well, the Flintstones was a dark horse candidate. Yeah, that was man. a very. I mean, the Flintstones had all kinds of strange things going for it because they just. Basically, went, we've got this Hanna-Barbera stuff. Yeah. If we do normal stuff with it, no one's going to read it. Let's do something completely no. funky. And they were like completely like their Snagglepuss comic, their Scooby-Doo comic, their Flintstones comics are all totally bonkers in they amazing are. creative I ways. Quite I good. love I, uh, yeah, I, I was too. not expecting to like them at all. They're amazing really and amazingly weird. But we've really traveled, I think, a little distance between the kind of books that DC is really you know, the core it, of their it universe. It just depends on, you know, as, as Calvin and I, both former Eisner judges, I was like in the second jury ever. I was like shocked. I'm like, it seems like yesterday. But, um, <laughs> you know, it really depends on the jury. They all oh, have different ideas and different tastes. And uh, the probably the biggest controversy coming out of this was from colorists. Because there is an award for best coloring. Uh, but... Most of the people who are nominated in it are cartoonists who color their own work. There was actually only one cartoonist. There was actually only one professional, professional color, colorist, colorist who was nominated in the category. Yeah. You know, I do feel that's. I feel like of, that's not cool. That's kind of not that cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, there are a lot of people who do amazing color work. There, it's a completely undersung thing. If you see a book that is color, that has not very good coloring. And that same artist's work being colored by someone who knows what they're doing, it looks like night and day in quality. It, yeah. it can make a great artist look bargain basement. 
Yeah. And I mean, I think actually in the best lettering was kind of the same with like people who, uh, you know, uh, uh, Emile Ferris was nominated in both. Hey, hey, guess what? She's amazing. She's the best cartoonist. But like, that's she what really she does. She's kind a of amazing. freaking cartoonist. Is there any award she didn't win last yeah. year? Yeah, exactly. Well, she's got <laughs> more to win. But yeah. I, I just, you know, when you compare someone like Emile Ferris, who's just a cartoonist who does everything to, you know, a John Workman who letters. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of those letterers and colorists like they are amazing mm-hmm. they're yeah. really yes. good they've worked very hard on their craft and they deserve to be recognized for it it's 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 like um if all the children's book awards were nominees were like actresses who had right. decided to branch out into children's books like i'm sure their books are fine but like why don't we bring on the people who that's their life yeah no, I, 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 it's, listen, there was a lot of talk. Uh, I'm not sure. So, you know, some of these categories were made a long time ago before the dawn of time. <laughs> so, and every jury also has the option to change the categories, you know, if it's passes by, by, um, I think that's good by committee. So, you know, that's why we see more and more awards every year because everybody wants to have their own award. So anyway, yeah, always interesting. So. So what's right. next on our So next topic on the list, list um, all right, I did want to point people to um, our, our feature on middle grade graphic novels. Middle grade storytelling goes graphic by Bridget Allison. Another wonderful job. Look, just to sum it up really quickly, really, it's a look at how this category has kind of transformed the book trade, uh, mesmerized conventional comics publishers to rethink their publishing, and also just how kids' comics – and particularly the middle grade YA area uh, basically is driving this new renaissance, at least in the book trade for sure, uh, of, of book format comics for kids. Uh, so she actually gives a full history um, going back to, uh, you know, what, what as we did in the story here about 15 years ago. I mean, this category didn't really even exist no. in book trade it or anything. It should have, but it didn't. It didn't, Absolutely. So uh, go to publishersweekly.com slash comics, and uh, you can t- see uh, see the feature there. Uh, she talks with um, uh, David Saylor, who runs Graphics Scholastic. She talks with Mark Siegel at First Second. Uh, she talks with Terry, uh, Terry Nantier at Paper Cuts. Uh, all, of these, uh, all of these publishers that were there at the very beginning, many of whom, like Terry, took a chance on a category that, particularly for a comics industry guy, it really didn't exist, and you and that you were going to have problems selling in the direct marketplace. And they took a they took a a, um, a bet on the book trade, and it's paid off. It's a, paid it's off a huge really rate. excellent excellent piece. And um, you know, I think the last podcast we talked about uh, the new kids section at Barnes and Noble. Yes, and, yes. You know, this yeah. is this is where it's and at. that's where it's coming from. Um, uh, it, uh, it, there's discussion of the importance of Raina Telgemar. This dominates the category now. Uh, Gene uh, Luen Yang, uh, his his book American Born Chinese. While it wasn't a middle grade graphic novel, it was the first book nominated for a National Book Award and basically made everyone pay attention. If you really want to talk about, if you really want to talk about a publisher that uh, a, a startup venture, you know, Lion Forge, that's made a big bet on graphic novels for kids, uh, you know, Andrew Colvin uh, at Lion Forge and their 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 Cub and Cub House imprints. I mean that's really. I mean that's kind of, in many ways that's the core of that company. In the next yeah, year, absolutely. we're going to see these books yeah. hit the market. Totally, so, totally. So uh, uh, 
middle grade uh, storytelling goes graphic uh, by uh, the fabulous Bridget Alverson. Uh, go to publishersweeky.com slash comics. Yes. And, I mean, frankly, I would say that, in a way, that's comics coming home. Because that's the audience that it started with. And it's an yes. audience that they finally relearned how to speak to. Yes. A- absolutely. Okay. And let's see. Let's go very quickly to the New York Times uh, has been promising, <laughs> you know, a lot. Um, yep. They promised more coverage, uh, you know, after doing away with the graphic novel mm-hmm. bestseller list. Well, uh, it looks like they finally delivered on part of that promise to increase coverage by uh, um, uh, appointing two graphic novel columnists. The first one, Hillary Shute, the academic, the comics academic, had her first column, and it was on black and white comics. Um, you know, I was sort of a mild opening. <laughs> yeah. I love all the comics, don't get me wrong. Uh, but she sort of grazed. She sort of went, you know, gave a look at three books that she was. Uh, yeah, they're kind of. She was interested in. Well, there's niche. a. Well, not only that. Oh, I'm sorry, Kate. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. Um, I just there's a lot more than can be covered in a monthly column. Yeah, it's it's a monthly column. That's part of it. Like, <laughs> like if there was one of these coming out every week, I'd be like, yeah, okay, put bring out that comic. But I'm like, that is that is the most important thing you have to say about comics, and you're going to write one every two months. Um, okay, it was very much. Let's put it this way: it felt more like a New York Times book review column than it felt like a column about graphic storytelling. And you know, maybe I was like, you know, reading. I was like, you know, I can see this is why this is the person the New York Times book review hired, because yeah. Well, yeah. you know, to be fair, um, the books that she talked about oh, are fine. are fine or wonderful. I mean, I, I, the, I, you know, I found that the the uh, the impact of the column sort of like subdued, mm. to say the least. Uh, let's see what Ed Park does. He's the, uh, the the novelist, and he's the co-founder of The Believer, the great uh, monthly yeah. literary magazine. Uh, you know, hope, maybe he can come in with something that has a little more oomph to it. Um, no knock on Hillary's uh, on, uh, Miss Shute's uh, column. I just hope that they, um, you know, they they choose some dynamic work so she can write a dynamic. I column. mean, when you yeah. write, also, <laughs> I'm just saying, it's like I run a daily website about comics, and uh, there's never enough time in the day to write about everything. You know, like it's just way too much going on in this world to be covered in a monthly column. Well, I mean, that does not deal. speak that's to for sure. you know and, if. And even if all you're doing is reviews, if you're just strictly doing reviews, there's still so much great stuff coming out to review. Yeah, I just think your first column could have a little more power to it, a little more oomph. I, I um, will say this. Those are all books, which by putting them a review in the New York Times book review will probably triple their sales. Yes, that is true. The Times will certainly help them. Um, but, uh, but, you know, let's be fair. Let's get let's, let's going. Um, and I think on that note, <laughs> I'm seeing the gesticulations. Breach. So, okay, the first thing is going to be Hartley Lynn's uh, new book is uh, the the book collection of the of a series formerly known as Pope Hats. Uh, it's called Young Francis. It's being released in May now. Um, the publisher um, um, Chris Spitzer uh, put a funny po- blog post up that well we didn't expect to sell this many, but apparently the, the initial printing is gone. 
before the book even hits the marketplace. So they're going back to press. There'll be new editions available. Uh, a new edition will be available in July. Uh, but they're going to be at TCAF. They will have books to sell at TCAF. And I think if you go online right now, you can probably get a few copies of it. But basically, the first printing of Young Francis, which is a delightful book, and it's also one of PW's uh, staff picks for summer reads. I wonder what staffer picked that one. Um, it's a wonderful book. Go check it out. And here I will admit that between the title Pope Hats and Young Francis, I initially thought it was about our current Pope. <laughs> My mistake. There you go. You can, it is not, dear listeners. It is not. It's no. understandable that you might make that's that It's probably mistake. not the best title ever, to be honest. <laughs> but I would say it's not the title is not great. Uh, the book is great. Right. That's true. <laughs> and speaking of great books, Hellboy, the much, much beloved graphic novel and comic series, um, decided that they were going to have a game and they kickstarted it dark horse and the creators of the comic got together like a game and within less than a day they made one million (laughs) dollars this is not an exaggeration must be nice i'm I'm not no no literally one million dollars um that's amazing our hats off to them it really shows the power of comics. I mean, for something that is well, not an 80-year-old, like, mega-titan of a series like Batman. For something that's just Hellboy. Well, people love Hellboy. People I mean, love Hellboy. Not, no, I'm not, I'm not underselling Hellboy. I'm just saying the fact that while people like the movies, the real power of Hellboy comes from the comic. And it's a million dollars. And on that note, I do believe we're out. Oh, there you go. Well, there will be... Wait, wait, wait. No, we're not. This... uh, And... But speaking of the power of comics, you don't need $1 million in order to enjoy comics this weekend because this Saturday is free comic book day. Go to a comic book store near you. You can easily just type in free comic book day into... Google and you will find the free comic book day website on which you can search for stores doing it near you. Almost all comic stores are, a few aren't. And they have a wide variety of comics for a wide variety of ages available for you for free. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I believe, you know, comic shops participate. Uh, some libraries also participate in uh, free comic book day, but it really is the national yeah. comic book holiday. And, um, and, and I love it. Universally uh, agree that one of the most successful promotions Absol- comic books of all time. Absolutely. Yeah, now so. in its seventeenth year. Yeah. So. And let me do a one quick last uh, plug for publisherswiki.com/slash/comics. We've got a lot of content up there now. You might want to check it out. We've got an author profile of Aline Kaminsky Crum, who's uh, there is a new book, a new collection of her Love That Bunch stories coming out. We've got a Michael Koopelman um, interview about his new book, All the Answers. It's a memoir, very different from his past work. I mentioned the middle grade graphic novel feature. Uh, and uh, Meg Limke, our new uh, uh, graphic novels review editor, also has a, um, a sidebar in PW's health and fitness feature on graphic medicine and particularly the graphic medicine imprint at Penn State. Uh, Mickey Spillane and Titan Books uh, is, are teaming up to do a graphic novel. Uh, adaptation of a Mickey Sp- uh, Spillane um, um, novel, no. Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer. So, just to let you know, Publishers Weekly is on the case. 
And on that note, there will be more to come.